when my mom died at 11 years sober, my dad stepped in, you know, and that relationship was repaired. And when he died, he would call out to me. I was the only person. He didn't want his caregivers to touch him. And so I know that those things can be repaired, but I'll tell you, they're not all repaired. I'm not all repaired. You know, some of my tears that you see me cry are from some brokenness and I'm still a work in progress. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, hello, hello. That was the voice, ladies and gents, boys and girls, of Mr. David G that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. You ever notice how like I'm pretty much the chairperson for every single one of these meetings? There's a reason for that. But I will be the chairperson for these meetings between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get cranked up. All right, folks, I am recording this particular episode way out in advance of when I normally record the Mm, uh, <laughs> the intros. In fact, there was somebody who wrote in once and said, uh, her name is Kim, and she said, John, I heard you talking during your pregame show. <laughs> I'd, I'd never thought about the introduction as my pregame, <laughs> but that's a, a good way to look at it. But nonetheless, I'm recording this way out in advance. And you know why? Well, why, John M., are you recording this so far out in advance? Well, let me tell you, Sober Speak listeners, the reason is, is that I have been promising to take my family on a little getaway for a long time. And you know what? It's time to go on that getaway. And I just wanted to clear my plate uh, from various uh, things that I have to do when I'm here uh, at home. And uh, so I am getting this thing, I'm getting this recorded way in advance. And so what I'm hoping though, in the meantime, because you know, you come on and you do things like, hello, hello, hey, everything's going great, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And and my fear is, is that I'll kind of uh, make a, a uplifting, if you uh, would, is that what you would call it? Uplifting type recording, you know, uh, something with a little bit more pizzazz to it. And in the meantime, 
the whole world falls apart, and I am uh, automatic. I can I can schedule these things to where the episodes come out when I want them to release, right? And so, um, who knows what could happen? I mean, it's twenty twenty. What could go wrong, right? So. <laughs> I'm hoping by the time you're hearing this, we are still here on this planet Earth. But nonetheless, this is David G. Oh, let me go ahead and just throw a few little promo things in here on the beginning. I guess you call these promo. Nonetheless, uh, if you want to be added to the super secret Facebook group and you are not in the super secret Facebook group, and why would you not want to be in that group? You can send me your email. G- to john j-o-h-n at soberspeak.com and guess what that email needs to be the email that is associated with your uh, facebook page and i can send you an invite out and get you in there and uh, keep in mind there are tons of remote meetings that are listed in there for those of you who can't get to real meetings at this time and i completely get it um and there, there's documents in there that detail all these meetings and you can uh come in there and look at that and join the zoom meetings uh, there are also a vast amount of amazing like-minded friends bill w uh, Al-Anon and other 12-step groups, and we'd love to have you in there. There's no charge for it, nothing at all. Um, we just want you in there to be with us. If you're not following us on Instagram, we are uh, at, 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 Soberspeak, all one word, at, at, Soberspeak, all one word. Anyway, um, and if you would, please go ahead and uh, if you haven't in the past, maybe share one of these episodes or the podcast as a whole with a friend. All you got to do is pause that little device you are on, hit the share button, and uh, you may be sending something over to somebody that could be just what they needed today. All right, everybody. Now, we are on to David G., part two of the live event that we had recently. And this is the Q&A session, question and answer session that went along with us. So if you didn't hear part one last week, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to David G. Part one, the Sober Speak live event. He was absolutely fantastic. Uh, It will knock your socks off. And if you're not wearing socks, maybe it'll knock your Crocs off or whatever you're wearing, okay? Your sandals. Nonetheless, uh, this is the second part. This is the follow-up. Actually, it's not a follow-up. What we did is we, or what David did is he kind of told his story on the front end. We went through a Q&A with yours truly, moi. And then what we did on the second half of this is we opened it up. And by opened it up, we, we released it to the the all the zoom attendees and we asked them what questions they would like to ask mr david g they posed some questions to him and here are his answers and you're gonna love this i know you are david g is just out of this world i love him he's my friend and i know you're gonna enjoy this episode but god bless y'all i'll be back soon love you keep coming back it works if if you work it now here is david g part two of the sober speak live event enjoy okay from allison it says david can you repeat can you repeat the words that woman said when she received her one year chip yep i'll never forget 
She said, I've finally given up the right to a better past. What do you think she meant by that? Oh, you would have to have been in meetings with her. You know, I, she was a person, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to this, um, that when I was in meetings with her and, and she overshared a little bit, you know, um, she, you know, it was one of those situations where there was a lot of stuff that she was sharing in our non-smoking meeting that probably should have been saved for her sponsor. Um, and it was, it was one, it was a situation where I understood why she drank, you know, I didn't have, I didn't think I had, I've later found in sobriety that I did have certain types of trauma that occurred in my life that, that led me around in ways that I didn't understand, which could be a whole nother sober speak. Um, but she had the traumas in her life that, you know, all of us fear the very most. And so when she would share those things and she would come back and, you know, sometimes she would relapse after the meeting from sharing them and come back the next day and pick up a desire chip. And so when she picked up her year chip and she stayed sober, the last I saw of Carolyn was probably in 1999 and she had moved away to another state uh, for a job and she was doing fantastic. You know, she, she recovered despite her past. And, uh, and I knew her past because she had shared it with me and everyone in that small kind of intimate non-smoking meeting at our group. And uh, I was amazed. I mean, it really was. It was one of the first miracles in another person's life that I personally like experienced from the inside out. So here's kind of a more of a comment than anything, but I just want to read it because I want you to know, David, um, what you mean to people not only at the Frisco Group, what you mean to me as an individual, um, but what you mean to people around the world, and many times you don't know it. Uh, Crystal says, David, I've always been so inspired by what you have shared with the Sober Speak podcast. I have highly recommended you to all my sponsees. I thank you very much for sharing your story with John. And I get those, and, and I send those on to you on a consistent basis when I get them through email or Instagram or text. And not only with you, but many of the speakers that we get on here, right? And I'm just so thankful to you, David, that you do share your experience, strength, and hope. And I know you don't always see it because these podcasts are going out all around the world, and most people even me, when I listen to podcasts, I don't take the time to respond to somebody and let them know how much they impacted me. But I'm so glad that you have come in here and shared. Anything you want to say to uh, Crystal? Well, yeah. I mean, Crystal, thank you so much. It's It has been a little bit overwhelming at times to, you know, just like three weeks ago, I was asked to speak at this group in, in L.A., and I think it was LA, it was in California, and I had no idea why they contacted me. Um, and then at the end of the meeting, uh, one of the guys stuck around and, and it was because of sober speak, you know, and, uh, and the idea that, you know, really, if this is a, no, I'm not doing anything here that I don't do every day. You know, and any one of you guys could sit here in this chair and have your mic unmuted and have John talk to you about the miracles that have happened in your life. You know, I got my personality, you have yours, um, but we're all the same people, right? But to me, this is more uh, a compliment or a thank you to you and Shannon 
because you and Shannon have brought a lot of people together who otherwise would have never met, you know? Um, Zoom has been an incredible thing. Uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, when COVID hit and we were all shut down and Sarah, my wife is a, you know, germaphobic, so she was not going to go to a meeting and she hasn't. And uh, she immediately set up a Zoom meeting that we go to every night. And there's people I'm looking at right now that are on that meeting. Some I've known for years and some I've only known because of that meeting. And, and after maybe 15 or 20 meetings, I started to have this like comfort level with Zoom. And, and after getting comments and emails from you guys, I mean, there's several people on this right now that I've talked to on the phone, that I've messaged with back and forth on Messenger, um, that we've talked about sobriety. I've, been, I've asked you questions and you've asked me questions, and none of that would have happened at this level if it weren't, if it weren't for you and you know, your willingness to put in, I, I believe, a lot of effort to make this a real platform for us. And that I'm, you know, so guys, I, I am on this all the time because I live like three minutes from John and I can run over there anytime he wants and sit in that very room he's sitting in and we can have fun. We're very close friends, you know? It's not like I'm like the Zoom or whatever, the sober speak star. I'm just his neighbor and, um, and his sponsee. You know, John's been my sponsors for about 12 years now, which is crazy when you think about it. I mean, time has flown. And, um, and because of that, you guys, you know, any one of y'all that want to reach out to me, you know, all you have to do is message through. Um, I want to have as many, uh, sober and, and healthy spiritual relationships with as many people as I can for the rest of my life, you know? And I bet people are surprised to join this Zoom meeting and know and not, not only is he a spiritual guru, but he's a very handsome individual. <laughs> well, I wanted to shave your head. Um, John was out at the lake with us a couple weeks ago, and he refused to let me shave his head. I think that it would add a lot to his look, but you guys can vote on that. And uh, when I get back in town, I'll be taking right. you out back and shaving your head. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. Garnett uh, writes in. He says, David, I heard you on the podcast once talk about how anyone who knew you wished they hadn't somehow said better. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I. So I didn't think about this until I had been sober for a while. It really started to be something that I thought about and I talked about when my mom died. You know, that, that story of her sitting in the back of that meeting waving at me um, was probably, I mean, I don't know, but it was probably a profoundly a profound life-changing event. I mean, I know her death was, but I mean, that moment and, and the thought that went through my head as I stood at that podium picking up, uh, you know, just one of the many chips that we pick up when we don't drink and we don't die, you know? Um, but that moment changed me. And, and one of the ways it changed me is I realized what I had done, what had happened in my life in that 11 years of sobriety. So, this is a statement that is probably crazy, but it's still uh, something that I believe. Um, I tortured my mother. I did not mean to torture my mother. I, I, I meant to get high and party, and she wouldn't support that and let me live with her and give me money 
if she knew what I was really doing. So I lied to her. I stole from her. I kept her up at night. It wasn't just cash register dishonesty. I manipulated her and harmed her. And the reason I was able to do that is because she loved me more than she loved anyone else in her life. Uh, Not more than my sister and my grandparents, but as much as any person she loved in her life. And I was able to, without thinking about it this way, manipulate her in ways that I believe contributed to the end of her life. Um, You know, stress and anxiety You know, she got melanoma right around the time of my deepest and darkest period of addiction. They thought that they got it all, but uh, it came back many years later um, and killed her. And so what I said that you're referring to, and I've, I've thought it a lot, and that is, is that if you loved me, if you cared about me, if I mattered to you, if, if what I did impacted you, just to the extent that you loved me and cared about me and I mattered to you would be the extent that you suffered because I couldn't help but hurt you. Uh, I couldn't be that. It wasn't that I was a liar. I wanted to do things that were wrong. And if I told you the truth about them, you wouldn't let me do them. You wouldn't be in a relationship with me. And, um, and that all turned. I mean, it, it's like a real 180. And it's not that I haven't hurt people. I've hurt people terribly in my sobriety, but nothing like I did back then. I mean, I'm not saying that some of the situations weren't terrible in my sobriety that I've, I've done and been a part of, but I can tell you that was me every day. If you took like one day out of the life of David circa 1992 and did the five worst things that I did, and put any one of them into my life today, they would not only be horribly out of place, but they would like totally shut down the way I feel about myself inside. In other words, I have changed so much as a person that, and even the people I've harmed, you know, there's people probably on this, watching this right now, who know that this is the truth. Even the people that I have harmed in ways that I wish I hadn't, I have done everything I can through this program to write that behavior, to amend those relationships and amend what I did um, so that I could, you know, the worst part about being an a-hole is you feel like one and I don't want to feel like one and I, it's not a matter of whether, you know, I don't want you to think I'm one, but I don't want to treat you in ways that I feel like that's what I am. And, um, and that's what I was really talking about, you know, when I say that. Jonathan B. wants to know how to handle stress and anger. He just celebrated one year last week. (laughs) Well, I can tell you my children, when I taught them how to spell, they still joke around that they made safe words. (laughs) So... (laughs) I, I am not going to uh, put myself out there as the guru of cool because I'm not. <laughs> um, I can be very irritable. I can be very difficult to be around. I can also be a pleasure and no big deal. I'm all things um, just like I'm sure all of you are. And, and I can't always put a finger on it. I really can't. I cannot put a finger on some of the days that I don't feel good. One of the great things that has been a huge progression in my life, and this doesn't always help the people around me. Sometimes this doesn't 
fix the situation. But I am self-aware enough that when I don't feel well today that I'm able to say to the people around me, I don't feel well today. I don't, it's not because of you. I may be acting irritable towards you, uh, but I'm irritable and it doesn't have anything to do with you. So I'm not telling you to leave me alone. I'm just telling you that if I snap or act, I just don't feel good today. And I didn't used to have that. What I used to have is if I didn't feel good, I blamed you <laughs> because of the way you were acting, that you were irritating. And that's been a huge progression for me, but probably the single biggest thing. So um, I started doing about six months ago, I started doing a deeper level of meditation. I've always meditated. I do Five Alive, you know, and meditation is part of that. Every morning, I spend time on my knees. It's, you know, two to three, four minutes at the most where I, I read something and I get on my knees and I pray and meditate. And it has kept me sober. There's no question that that is part of the simple kit of spiritual tools that have been laid at my feet. I practice that. But because of being involved in, in uh, a group of men that we do a meditation class. And it's funny because I'm the person who came up with the idea of doing a meditation class, even though I had not really ever done anything like that. You know, I thought people when they talked about med meditating for 20 minutes were like being grandiose. And, um, and so I started doing this meditation class and really we just focus on our breathing and our thoughts and we try to work on training our thoughts to be able to be refocused, not to eliminate our thoughts, but to have some uh, uh, discipline in letting my mind wonder, but then re realizing my mind is wondering and bringing it back, you know, bringing it back to my breathing, bringing it back to, you know, some truth that I'm trying to meditate on. And I'm so 26 years sober. And I'm going to tell you for about four months, I have been practicing whatever you call that kind of meditation. And oh my gosh, it's helped. Like, there's times that I wake up at like four in the morning and I'm thinking about some problem I have, some issue at work, some, some bill that's coming up that I don't want to pay, uh, possibly a letter I got from the IRS, you know, something that wakes me up at four in the morning. And the worst part about it isn't just that I'm stressed because life is stressful. Some of those things are my fault. Some of them aren't. The worst part about it is when I wake up at four in the morning, I'm that guy that has to let you know that I'm not feeling well today and that you need to stay away from me. Um, and since I have been taking this class, I have been able to meditate and, and go back to sleep and not have an irritable, crazy day. And it has been from practice. Uh, I do that meditation class once a week. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow or Sunday. And I do it during the week now by myself. And so there are 12 steps. And the 11th step is to continue uh, through prayer meditation to improve. And uh, at 26 years sober, uh, I decided that it was time to have other people do a meditation class that has turned out to be a big, big improvement in my ability to handle stress. Okay, so I'm going to go on to another question, but I just want you to know just for time's sake, there are 15 new questions that we have in the queue, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> I've, I've, people have said that to me before. Lynn B. asks, if David can speak more about how to walk through grief, she has also had something similar with her mom. Mm. 
Yeah, I feel for you. Um, probably the most valuable thing for me was being with other people who understood. You know, prior to what I went through with my mom and really what I went through, I mean, I don't mean to act like that's a self-centered thing because my mom went through a lot more than I did, but I did go through something very uh, painful. And, and prior to that, you know, I didn't, you know, I was one of those people who might say to you, you know, she's in a better place or, uh, you know, God has a plan, you know, cause I didn't know what to say. Now I know to say, that I love you and I understand. And I needed to find people like that. And they weren't far. You know, I openly shared about what I'm sharing with you now. And I, and I had people who came up to me and I know that they were well-meaning. It, 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 that it wasn't particularly helpful. They were well-meaning when they said to me, you know, you know, your mother's with Jesus now. Or, you know, I had people say that to me after AA meetings and, 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 and say to me, you know, she's in a better place. And what I wanted to scream at them was, I'm not. But because I openly shared in those meetings, other people came up to me, people like me. And, and so if I could say anything, AA is full of all sorts of people who have had all sorts of experiences. I did not hide what I was going through. Within about six months of joining the, the Frisco group, uh, a person who I consider a dear friend today, though we don't hardly ever talk outside of a meeting. Um, her father passed away suddenly. And, uh, and because I had shared what I was going through and that I was only in Frisco because I couldn't stand to be in my neighborhood that I grew up in anymore and that I was in pain and I kept coming to meetings and I kept sponsoring people and I kept sharing and, and I kept being open about what was going on with me. She, she, pulled me aside after the meeting and she said, I feel like I'm going to die inside. I miss my dad so much. And I was able to share with her. And, and we talked many times for months, you know, not every day, but every week or so. And then it became every month or so. And, 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 and so I would say this, the AA has met me at every level of my need and, and people who understood helped me through my grief. And I have helped other people through their grief. And, and I welcome you reaching out to me, you know. So I hope that, I hope that answers your question. Brenda J. The Brenda J. Just so in case you all are wondering, the, the lady that many of you are going to know from this podcast, she is on tonight and she asks a question, David. She says, first of all, I value all in big capital letters of your light. Question. What do you still need? Wow. You know, there's things that are still broken in my life. And, and that may always be true. You know, some of those things I broke and some of those things got broken that I wasn't in, at fault. And some things, uh, you know, some things I can't do anything about. And, and, and I think we all have those things, you know, um, you know, God graced me, you know, when I got sober, I hated my dad. 
Um, I loved my dad, but I hated my dad. I felt like he had never supported me, that he had always been the devil's advocate. You know, no matter what I did, he said what was wrong with that, why that was, you know, if I wanted to play soccer, I should have played football. If I wanted to play football, you don't play football. If I want to play basketball, you're too short. You know, whatever I talked about, I felt like my dad, you know, when I was getting married, you know, you know, he referred to her as blondie. And he just did things like that, you know. Um, you know, he had his spiritual sickness and, you know, I didn't know how to see him as a person who is spiritually sick. I hadn't learned that, you know, treating him as I would kindly treat a sick person, you know. I didn't know to pray for him. I, he was my dad and I thought that he owed me a better childhood. I thought he owed me, you know, and so it was different than other people. I was, I was able to move on, but when my mom died at 11 years sober, my dad, my dad stepped in, you know, and that relationship was repaired. And when he died, he would call out to me. I was the only person. He didn't want his caregivers to touch him. He didn't want any of the, I wouldn't say any of our family members, but he always wanted me there. And, um, and so I know that those things can be repaired, but I'll tell you, they're not all repaired. I'm not all repaired. You know, some of my tears that you see me cry are from some brokenness. And, um, and I'm still a work in progress. So I love you, Brenda. Me too, Brenda. I love you, Miss Brenda. Jennifer asks, she says, Hi, David. I've been listening to you on Sober Speak for the past year of my sobriety, and I'm so grateful for your experience. Can you speak on emotional sobriety on a <laughs> yeah, daily basis? Yeah, let me stop crying first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, they said we're going to feel better, and we do. We feel better. We feel, you know, we feel sadness better. We feel joy better. We feel everything better. I am not broken anymore. Not like I was. There are areas of my life that are still a work in progress, but I am a very, I'm very aware. You know, I, I think for me, this has a lot to do, a lot more to do with awareness. It has to do with my ability to look at myself and stop trying to find solutions to what's wrong in my life in other people. Um, those are tough lessons in sobriety, you know? It's, it's like we started this whole thing talking about surrender. How, how far I'm willing to surrender in my life to whatever's going on, how... I am able to surrender putting myself first. Uh, and because I'm still, you know, we're all, I'm a self-centered person and uh, surrendering to that in, in situations in my life and recognizing that I don't have to like what's going on to contribute to it and, and, and contribute to it in a positive way. And so I, anyone who's in this meeting that knows me, I go to meetings every day. Uh, not just once a day, a lot of days. I go to meetings twice a day, a lot of days. Um, I don't do that because I'm bored. I don't do that because I, you know, don't have anything else to do. I, I do that because of emotional sobriety. 
um, God speaks to me through you. I hear what I need to hear when you speak, and you give me my emotional sobriety. So I will never be a three meeting a week guy. You know, when I'm when I'm in hospice, some of you people better be at my bedside bringing me a meeting. <laughs> That's all I got to say. So. John P. writes in, he says, thanks for the great lead tonight. What step do you work the most when you experience grief from the loss of a loved one? Wow, that's a hardcore question. Man, that's a hard question. I don't know if I know the answer to that, you know. So when I got... When I got sober, I was about two years sober, and there were these three guys, Carl W., Fred Abney, and Bill Cheney. They all died with decades of sobriety. And we were in a meeting of about 20 people every day, and they were always there. And they seemed, in my opinion, to always take up about half the meeting sharing. <laughs> I called them Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. And I didn't mean that as a compliment. <laughs> So Fred's wife died. He had been retired just a couple years and his sweetheart of 50 years, he sold his law firm and, and they were going to uh, spend the last 20 years of their life uh, in retirement, their golden years. And, and Fred woke up one morning and his wife was in bed next to him dead. She had had an aneurysm and he came to a meeting that day. That day at noon, he was there and his, his, he wore glasses, thick glasses, and you could see the puffiness of his skin pressed up against the glass of his glasses, and tears streamed down his face. He was broken. And, uh, and I watched Fred, you know. I watched Fred come to meetings every day, including the day of his mother's, his, sorry, his wife's funeral. And I listened for what he shared. You know, he was one who, he did the Course in Miracles thing and talked about self with the big S and self with the small S, you know, your higher self and your lower self. And, and that's why I called him Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle because I thought, that's not the big book. And you know what? He didn't share for probably a month. And then he, you know, he stopped crying, but he, he didn't share yet. And then when he started sharing he started sharing about the same things that he shared about before his wife died. And, and, and I watched him over the next few months, a smile come back on his face and, and his kindness. And I'll never forget the, the way that man treated me. You know, he's long since passed away. And, um, and he taught me a lesson that, that when life hands me the worst, you know, as the 12 and 12 says, a lump that I can't begin to swallow, let alone digest, that I keep doing the footwork of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't get rid of my sponsees because I'm not in a good place. That is not the answer. I get more sponsees. I think about, I do my best to, to turn my thoughts outward when I'm feeling my worst. And I do that as much as I can today. Um, and so I don't think there's just one step. I think when we talk about the triangle and the three legs of that triangle, you know, I think unity, service, and recovery all are equal in that. And I don't, I never gave up any of them. And I think it's one of the reasons that when I look back on the deaths of my family 
it reminds me of a book. It's a great book called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And it's about a, a rabbi whose son dies, a progenia, I think it's called. And he was hated God. But at the end of that book, he said, you know, what is the meaning of my son's life going to be? Is it going to mean that I live in hatred or is it going to mean I live in service? And my mom's death, it became a gift for other people because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and so I would just say, keep doing the deal. That's a good way to phrase that. It became a gift for other people. Maria, oh, the same Maria that is on Sober Speak. She asks, one thing I've heard David share before is, quote, it's crazy that people would rather die, in big capital letters, than to work these steps, unquote. Can you comment? Thank you so much, David. Yeah, I just don't think they know they're going to die. I just didn't believe it. You know, I remember coming to AA and I needed to be there from the get-go. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a great line in the book. It, it talks about what it first seemed a flimsy read has proven to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And this just didn't seem like the answer. I mean, I had real problems. You guys are talking about God. I mean, to me, when I came in, you might as well have been talking about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. I mean, I wasn't like anti-religion. I just it did not comfort me. And so that was a, I mean, I would call that almost a place of such ignorance or such sickness that, but I can tell you this on the day I got sober, I knew I was not going to survive alcoholism. And I don't think it's a coincidence. All of a sudden you guys ideas about God became very, very uh, attractive to me. And the program of Alcoholics Anonymous became very attractive to me. You know, maybe if I would have realized I was dying sooner, I might have been a little more reasonable about doing this thing. But it's a very good question, and it's hard. It's perplexing. You know, we talk about it in meetings. Why can't we grab people and shake them and stick this thing into their head? And the reason we can't is is until I understand that this is going to kill me, I don't understand that this is going to kill me. Jim S. And I got a feeling this is a Jim S. that I know, but he says, David, can you talk about sponsorship? Uh, How many best practices, pitfalls to avoid? And I happen to personally know that you have tons of experience in this arena. David sponsors a lot of guys and he has over the years, he's been able to carry the message. So can you talk about that a little? Yeah, it's probably a lot like Lois said to Bill when he said he wasn't having much success. And she said, well, you're sober, aren't you? Um, Yeah, I think in the beginning, I was a terrible sponsor. Um, And I don't think it's just because no one stayed sober. I really think I was a terrible sponsor. Um, I didn't mean to be uh, a know-it-all, but I just, you know, I'm still a know-it-all. I just realize it now. Um, At the time, I... uh, I really thought I had the, I, you know what, I had experienced the answer, but that doesn't mean I had it to shove down your throat. And in the beginning of my sobriety, I was pretty bad about kind of being bossy and, and, uh, and it was not effective. Um, I think what long-term sobriety and experiencing failures of my own has just given me a lot more compassion for people's inability to do this thing. 
you know? I, I think what I have now, which I never had before, is a level of patience. It's enough to help people. And I didn't make that happen. It wasn't because I wasn't, I realized I wasn't having much success because I have sponsees that have been sober, you know, a long time. It's not that I didn't have people that stayed sober. I've just softened through the years uh, as a person. And uh, some of the, some guys that may be on here right now may think that that's a ridiculous statement, but I can tell you I have softened. Jennifer writes in and she just wants, it's more of a comment. She says, your work on Sober Speak has meant so much to me. I learned how to stay sober and how to apply this program in my daily life. I, I think that's to you. It possibly could be me, but nonetheless, I'm glad you're on Sober Speak, Mr. <laughs> David. Uh, Terry D writes in and says, what and why cause your transition from NA to AA? Good question. I had the same experience and I used to go to Lake Whitney NA retreats from 89 to 99 on a regular basis. We probably crossed paths there, no doubt about it. Um, I wasn't ready when I went to NA. It would be completely unfair to NA to say that NA didn't work for me because AA didn't work for me either. <laughs> um, CA didn't work for me. Uh, adult children of alcoholics didn't work for me. Alateen didn't work for me. Uh, none of it worked for me because I didn't do it. Um, so it, it's, it's not a matter of the transition. Uh, I was going to an AA group when... You know, I had what I would call some sort of a white light experience and I walked my happy ass up to the Trinity group and I waited. What I waited for, which was very unusual for me because I usually pick sponsors that would that I could relate to, which is not good when you're like a sicko, <laughs> which I was. I picked other sickos or people who didn't do the deal. I waited for a big book thumper. I mean, I literally was thinking that I am going to ask one of these people who will not shut up about the big book to show me what they're talking about. And I didn't even ask Clovis to be my sponsor. I said, would you show me how to work the steps? And so I probably, if I would have walked into an NA meeting and went up to one of those people who talks about the steps all the time and does the deal in their life and would have followed their instructions, who knows? I may be an NA member now, but Clovis was my sponsor. And I'll tell you, this is something, I, I, I don't want to be controversial in any way, but I hear people a lot say, you need a sponsor that did crack, right? You need a sponsor that did heroin. You need a sponsor that did ecstasy. You need a sponsor who understands. Clovis didn't even know what crack was. He didn't even smoke weed. He didn't take pills. He drank whiskey until he passed out and peed at himself. And he's dead now, so he, he would say that in the meeting too. And when I told him that I smoked crack, he, he kept calling it taking crack. And so it really didn't have anything to do with us relating to our drug and alcohol use. He, he put instructions in front of me and I followed those instructions and I've been sober ever since. And I think that could have happened in NA or AA or CA or HA or any A that you want to talk about uh, because the 12 steps were what were effective for me, not necessarily the, the fellowship that I was going to. This next comment comes in from your sister. Oh, gosh. Hey, Lisa. It says, I'm David's sister, and I can attest that I didn't want to know him. <laughs> 
And then everything changed, and instead of David being the little brother, he became the big brother and my best friend. It's true. Very sweet. I don't even have a resentment for not coming to my first wedding. I mean, I wouldn't have gone either. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, I was a bad little brother. Um, You know, the worst thing I did to my sister is my sister was a success. She is a success. She was always a success. You know, I won't get into what her successes are, but I can tell you that she worked very hard. If I wanted to find my sister, I went to the library because that's where she was studying. And, and, and what I did to my sister that was the worst, I mean, I mean, I, what I did to my parents and stuff harmed her, but the worst thing I did is so much attention that should have been showered on my sister was paid to me because I was a problem. I was causing problems. My sister would graduate at the top of her class. She would, you know, get full scholarships places and, and even at her wedding, you know, even at her wedding, oh my God, David's drunk again. And, um, and I don't take that from my sister anymore. You know, we, we are best friends and we do celebrate things together. And, and I do, instead of detracting from, uh, her life, I add to her life and, and she adds to mine. And, uh, and, we know we went through the death of our parents together and, and it can be ugly between siblings when parents die. I've been, you know, I've had friendships with people who families have lost people and they're fighting and they're scrapping for every little penny and, and all that stuff. And, and the, the love and respect that my sister and I had for each other and were able to share with each other during our parents' death was nothing short of remarkable. Crystal Ash, she says, besides the big book 12 and 12 and traditional AA literature, what books have you read that you recommend? I love Emmett Fox. Bill loved Emmett Fox. It's not surprising that, you know, I read Around the Year with Emmett Fox every day. I've read um, Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox probably three or four times in my sobriety. Um, I just absolutely... I was raised in a, my mom was a Methodist minister, a diaconal minister, which is a service minister in the Methodist church. And, um, and so I, I was raised at church. I, I used to play ping pong and occasionally smoke weed with the janitors at Lover's Lane. Um, and so I was around it all the time and I just really had a hard time. So for instance, one of my thoughts in high school was, and this is just a negative thought, you know, I don't believe this anymore, but my thought was, you guys really believed that a 14-year-old girl didn't have sex with her 20-year-old boyfriend and just got pregnant like through some miracle? That was the kind of thinking I had, right? And so Emmett Fox teaches what Jesus as a teacher was. What was Jesus trying to teach? He didn't come at me about Christianity or about church or about sin even. Emmett Fox comes at me using what Jesus taught to people about what spirituality is. And it has been unbelievably valuable to me. And it has brought me to a much better and loving uh, understanding of religion in general. You know, I think organized, today I believe that organized religion is a beautiful thing that for most people does incredible things for them. 
um, and my judgmentalness because of my studying of this stuff. And I've, re- I've been reading around the Eurythmic Fox every day for 25 years. So, Crystal asks, what's your occupation? Have you been open to your coworkers about your recovery? How do you handle your professional life as far as recovery is concerned? Okay, so first I ha- I do a lot of different things, but the main thing I do is I wholesale bridal gowns. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of my stores is on here because I don't have a safe separate Facebook page and I posted this thing on Facebook. Um, everybody I know knows that I'm a recovering alcoholic and it is never, to my knowledge, interfered with my career. Um, I'm not telling other people that that's what they should, you know, be so open about it. But I have... Uh, buyers that I have helped their children find a treatment center. I have gone to meetings with people that I've sold dresses to. I have a friend that I've known since she uh, was in high school and now she's in her mid forties and has been sober 10 years. And I go to meetings with her every time I'm in new Orleans and um, uh, recovery and being a sober guy has made me closer to my stores. Uh, I just, one of my stores yesterday, she's a new account. I'm sure she thought, what the hell is going on here? I'm on the phone with her. And somehow the sober living uh, that we do came up. And the next thing I know, we're talking about her teenage son. And I'm helping connect him with an AA group. And, uh, and, and that's just a part of my life. There's no separation between... David, the sober guy and David, the business guy, it's all intertwined completely. And it's maybe that's not right for all people, but in my situation, it's, it's not been, it's not only not been a problem, it's really been a wonderful thing. Cassandra writes in and Cassandra is the lady on sober speak who does all the Instagram and Facebook posts and such, and I'm so grateful for her. But she's got a question here. She says, how do you detach from someone who is active in their addiction slash dysfunction and not let them pull you down? Someone I know and love is hurting deeply right now and is in the midst of their demons, and I grieve as I let go of the little glimmer of hope I had that we would have a relationship. Well, nothing's forever. That's one thing. You know, when we talk about living in today, decisions that I need to make today for my health and my safety, not just physical safety, but emotional safety, are not decisions that I'm making for the rest of my life. And uh, just like we don't say, I'm never going to drink again, we don't say, I'm never going to have a relationship with you again. Um, So I went through a divorce a few years ago, and I went to a therapist, and the therapist was super helpful to me in a lot of ways. But one of the ways she was most helpful is she had me read a book called Boundaries. You know, I thought boundaries were like some Al-Anon thing, and it is, uh, but there's a whole lot more to boundaries. And, And I read that book about two pages at a time over about a it's not that long a book, probably eight or nine months. And I, and what I recognized is my boundaries were broken since I was a little baby. I mean, one of the first things that happened in my childhood that I remember was one of my mom's friends loving on me and touching me and caressing me. 
And it made me super uncomfortable. And when I tried to get away from her, my mom yelled at me to stop being such a little brat. And I still remember to this day being three or so years old on Christmas Eve, driving around looking at Christmas lights and letting this woman touch me all over, not in a sexual way, just touch me all over and how horrible I felt. And she finally, I remember her recognizing that I had been limp for about probably two or three minutes and she stopped touching me. And I didn't know until I read the book Boundaries that that was the beginning of me not having healthy physical boundaries. And my mom did not mean to do that. My mom was trying to be cool to her friend and not have her son make her friend feel uncomfortable. But what happened was I was broken in a way, starting at two or three years old, in a way that I didn't even know until I read the book Boundaries. And so I would strongly suggest anyone who is struggling with maintaining healthy boundaries, and that really means understanding where I stop and you start, and not going into your boundaries and not allowing you to come into mine. And that's what a healthy relationship really is. Um, I didn't know that until I was about 22 years sober. So I would look into that. So David, here's the last comment, unless I get another one come in. And it is more of a comment, but I'll let you respond to it. It says, thank you. I had no idea of where this morning would lead me. I lost both my mom and my dad within 10 weeks of each other last year. There's a well of grief within. You have helped me by letting me know it is okay to breathe. And Debbie writes that. I understand. You know, time will make it better. You know, I, I don't remember when it was, but I woke up one day and I could think about my mom and my dad and, and, and the smile didn't turn into sadness, you know, it, it, but it was an instant and I couldn't make it happen. Um, but it will, it will come. There will come a time like it did for me where I, I look back on my relationship with my parents with just a, a deep sense of gratitude for who they were for me. And, and, and really, we say this in meetings all the time, but I really understand it today, probably because I have adult children and now grandchildren, but I really understand this today. My parents did the best that they could, you know? And even at their worst moments, they love me. David G., my friend, thank you one more time for delivering the goods. If any of you would like to get in touch with Mr. David G., send me an email to john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and I will be glad to get you in touch with David. Or if you'd like to get in touch with any of the other speakers for some reason, feel more than free to send me an email, and I will pass that information along. Now, for a little bit of listener de la feedback, uno Mas tiempo. Is that one more time? Do I have that right? I think I have that right. I'm thinking that I have that just right. You're welcome for that bilinguality. Jill writes in and she says, John, I am slowly working my way through your podcast episodes. Thank you, 
just doesn't cut it because even though you call it a quote, labor of love, I can't imagine the amount of time this takes you every week. Exclamation point, exclamation point. You are funny, informative, insightful, kind, compassionate, and completely authentic. Well, Jill, I think you just made my day. Thank you so much. She says, you may have to replace some episodes and give yourself a break. I would be devastated if you burned out with all the work doing this thing must take. You are a blessing to so many Jill H. Well, as you know, Jill, I wrote you back and I said, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there are days I don't feel like uh, going through the... Oh, the editing and just spending the time with with people like David is that is effortless, right? But it's the editing, the publishing, the equipment. Uh, all, there's just a lot of stuff that goes into it, right? So there are days where I don't feel like doing that, but it's also like it's kind of like for me a sponsorship in many ways. There's sometimes I see that phone ring and I don't want to answer it, but I'll pick it up. And I'll have that conversation, and I think to myself afterwards, I'm glad I did that. I feel better um, because I took the time to put in some sort of service work, right? And Jill, we're all in this together. Uh, and I thank you so much for your very, very kind words. God bless you. And as I always say, I really appreciate you letting me be on or being a part of your journey and being on this journey with you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Pat Post in the Super Secret Facebook group. She says, and this is in reference to uh, a couple of episodes back now. It's going to be Brian P., episode number 144. It, it is entitled Bank Robber turns himself into AA. By the way, <laughs> I got to tell you, coming up with titles for these things sometimes, I you know, I rack my brain. Sometimes it's the hardest thing I do. I'm like, oh no, what am I going to call this one? But nonetheless, uh, that was the one called Bank Robber turns himself into Alcoholics Anonymous. Pat says, I just finished listening to Brian P. I was deeply moved by his story. Two biblical stories came to mind, the prodigal son and the mandri, the loving humility of the washing of the feet ceremony. And if you haven't heard that episode, you probably won't know uh, what Pat is referring to here on Facebook. Uh, but um, if you've heard it, I'm sure you will. Anyway, um, every Al-Anon parent with addicted children always prays for the return of their children. Brian gave the best gift that a parent can receive, the peace of knowing their son was safe and sober. John M., you are a master at connecting with your guest. Well, I don't know about that, Pat, but thank you. And leaving no stone unturned. By the time you began to read from page 164, I was in tears and needed the Kleenex box too. This time, I heard and felt every word of the prayer. Please thank Brian for his courage and the selfishness. He is a good man. P.S. The native smudging is usually 
performed by the burning of a sage stick. And once again, we, we referenced that in the, uh, in the episode itself. And Pat, you always come up with great posts in the Facebook group, and I appreciate it. All right, Jason. Jason added on to Pat's comments in the secret Facebook group about Brian P. And Jason said, I thought about Christ's washing of the feet of his disciples in that story as well. It falls perfectly in line with service and doing the next right thing. The other story I thought of was Jesus on the road to Emmaus. When the nurse said that she didn't recognize Brian P. as he described himself to her. The spirit of love and service in that moment had transformed him in such a way that his selfish and self-centered way of life, although in his memory, was unrecognizable to others. We reveal ourselves to other alcoholics and addicts in the room and in our service work. We recognize ourselves in those stories and are convinced to continue on the road with those people walking on to Emmaus as you will. Then the stories hit on some spiritual note where we see love, service, and selflessness exemplified, and we begin to see the true light of God incarnate. Great share. Well said, Pat. I thought of the other big book as well when I heard most the most recent share on Sober Speak this week. Thank you, Jason, for posting that. We really do appreciate it. Well said. Yourself. Sharla also posts in the secret Facebook group. She says, I can't express in words how the Sober Speak podcast guest honesty vulnerability has helped me transform my life and aid in changing what my kids' lives look like. I am an Al-Anon, and your speakers have not only become a part of my program, but a part of my life. Like long-lost aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents who have shared their secret wisdom with me, I feel sad for those who get out there and don't have a slice of this. I grew up in alcoholism and didn't really know it Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I grew up in alcoholism and didn't really know it or how to even accept it until I was 31 years old. There was abuse, mental control, a loss of feeling anything on my part, and a string of tragedy that just kept coming, one after another. I sank sank deeply into a place of no opinions, no sense of self, Basically, a breathing human who is trying to prove my validity to everyone else to make myself feel like I was supposed to be here. True to form, my first serious relationship was a user who didn't change for me, shocker, and then I married an active alcoholic. Finding Alan on after four therapists who knew of my entire life and never mentioned this program was an absolute miracle. Another miracle was finding you and this beautiful community of recovery. I feel like a part of the family when I hear my story come through other experiences. I've never felt so close to anyone in my life as I do in this program. The level of worth and compassion I've developed over the past two years is such a blessing in my life. Thank you 
if for every one of your services and adding so much to my personal recovery, have a great day. And that was really out to not me, but to all the, the, the Silver Speak community and the, and the uh, Facebook group. And I am so glad, Sharla, to have you along for the ride. God bless you, Sharla. And thank you for being a part of this community. Finally, Victoria writes in and she says, Hello, John. Thank you for adding me to be part of the Facebook group. I live in Philadelphia, but I am originally from Russia. I doubt very seriously that is how Victoria speaks, but I, it's hard for me to say the word Russia without saying it just like that. Anyway, she says, I found Sober Speak re- recently. And I've listened for about 10 episodes so far. I truly enjoy it. Thank you for your hard work. I love the recent episode with Brittany W. What a story. And just in case you're wondering what Victoria is talking about there, it's episode 130. It's called Brittany W. But for the grace of God, there go I. And then Victoria continues on uh, looking forward to be part looking forward to be part of the Facebook group and listen to more episodes on your podcast. Thank you Victoria M. Well, Victoria from Russia. We appreciate it. I wonder if you got the vodka when you're over there in Russia. I'm so sorry, Victoria and everybody else. Anyway, thank you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm taking this one week at a time. Hopefully I make it back next week. Love you guys. Bye-bye now.